Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly sermon podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. In summer months, I, I wanted to go back over certain verses that uh, are just so powerful in, in the Galatians letter. And one of those verses is about the curse that each of us lives under, having been born under Adam. And so I'd like you to read with me these two verses from Galatians chapter 3, because here we have the remedy for living under a curse. And so I'd like you to read with me. Will you read out loud? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So the very first curse ever spoken was spoken by God. And in Genesis chapter 3, we have the details of that curse. And when he speaks the curse to Adam for having disobeyed, he gives him three areas of cursing. He says that you'll eat your bread, but by the sweat of your brow. You will plant, and everything you plant will have thorns and thistles. And then he says, and the life will go out of you. The breath will go out of you. You came from dust, and you will return to dust. You will die. Now, if you think about it, that is a pretty comprehensive curse. And it is rather severe. So in everything that you are doing to provide, everything that you're doing to, to make a living, your sweat is a picture of the curse of how hard it is to live in this world. And if you think about it, almost everything you've ever done has at least a twinge, if not a sense of melancholy or bitterness to it. That as sweet as something might be, it's always just a little less than perfect. Relationships, jobs, things that you hope for that don't quite measure up, these are the thorns that are in everything that we do. And then, if you think about it, we even have sayings, don't we? Like, don't sweat it. Don't let them see you sweat. These things come out of the curse. Or every relationship, everything that you hope is going to be perfect ends up disappointing you, betraying you, disillusioning you. Those are the thorns. But the worst of all is the breath. Have you ever noticed that anything that you exert yourself in, anything that you're pushing yourself in, you lose your breath. You have to get a second wind. All of those are pictures that you're going to die that you cannot live in this world without having to exert yourself in such a way that you lose your breath. 
This became really real to me last summer. One year ago, I was in the hospital because we were in, we were in Nashville at our conference for the Christian Missionary Alliance, and I was walking up a hill, and I could not get my breath. I was on my way to the, to the conference that night, and I was trying to meet up with Lisa, and I could not get my breath. I was passing out. I was, I was getting lightheaded. All, now, some of it could have been all that fried chicken that I had just eaten at Paula Dean's kitchen. Do not go there if you have a heart issue. It's suicide by fried food. But I can remember that feeling of, I can't catch my breath. And it was one of the scariest things that I've ever experienced. And within one month, I had a heart attack. So I've enjoyed hospitals in Tennessee, in New York, all over the place. And so one of the things that you begin to realize, especially as you get older, is your breath is so precious. And the other thing is that you start to realize how much the curse works to decay, to corrupt. And you begin to realize you're not invincible. You're on the decline. And so part of what the curse was, it says, you will go into the ground without your breath, and you will return to the dust from which you came. Now, this is why, I know I beat this drum a lot, but this is why you must be a gospel-believing Christian. You cannot be just a moral Christian. You can't be a cultural Christian. You can't be a religious Christian. You have to be somebody who gets the fact that you are so evil, Christ had to die for you. But you are so loved, Christ chose to die for you. And you have to realize that because, you see, if you're under a curse, being a little better person just means you're still under the curse. You still have the issue of your sweat, your thorns, and your breath. And so the only way that you come out from under the curse is if Christ has gone under the curse for you. And the only way you get your life redeemed, your sweat redeemed, your thorns redeemed, your breath redeemed is if Christ redeems you from the curse. And the only way that happens is if you realize you have no righteousness. You have no way to earn it. You have no standing with God whatsoever. But Jesus gives you a right standing with God. And it all is by faith. You cannot reverse the curse by working harder. You'll just get more sweat. You'll just get more thorns. You'll just get out of breath. And so this passage, you see, is saying we have the remedy to reverse the curse. Here's what I'd like you to say with me, okay? I'd like you to realize sweat, thorns, and breath are the places where you see the curse. They're also the places where you can reverse the curse. So would you say it with me? Sweat, thorns, breath. All right, look at your neighbor. Say to them, sweat, thorns, and curse. <laughs> that was no fun, was it? Because you're going to say, curse on your breath. Oh, no, you don't want to do that. 
See, the issue isn't how good is that person sitting next to you. The issue isn't how well do they behave. The issue is, are you still under the curse? Or has Christ become the curse for you? And it's such a beautiful thing to unpack how Christ redeemed us from the curse. He took the very curse that Adam incurred and he put it on himself so that every drop of sweat gets redeemed. Every thorn in your life gets redeemed. To redeem something means to take something that's not valuable and make it valuable. To take something that's enslaved and make it free. And so what Christ has done is he's given us a solution to the God-uttered curse that came upon us through Adam's disobedience. One of my favorite theologians is Sinclair Ferguson. He said this, Jesus undid everything Adam did and did everything Adam failed to do. Would you say that with me so I can hear it out of your lips? Jesus undid everything Adam did and did everything Adam failed to do. The whole point of Jesus becoming a curse was so that he could redeem you from the curse. And so the, the, the issue in your life is to see where and how Jesus has become the curse for you so that then you can begin to apply the reverse of the curse in your life. So he kept the law perfectly so that there's a provision of righteousness, of Jesus' righteousness that is put to your account. This is why I keep saying to you, if I ask you, are you right with God, and you say, I hope so, then you're not right with God. Because either you're right with him or you're not. Either you've received the righteousness of Christ or you're still under the curse. And if you're under the curse, you're not right with God. And if you're right with God, you've been redeemed from the curse. And the whole, you look at how Jesus carefully redeemed you. The first thing that you have to see is the work of redemption began in a garden just as the curse began in a garden. So when Jesus was fully entering into the work of redeeming us from the curse or reversing the curse, we are told that he sweat great drops of blood in the garden. Matthew Henry said it this way, sweat came in with sin and was a branch of the curse. And therefore, when Christ was made sin and a curse for us, he underwent a grievous sweat that in the sweat of his face, we might eat bread. You see, before, you could only eat your bread by the sweat of your face. Now Jesus has, has incurred, Jesus has endured the sweat, the real sweat, so that the bread of life is yours. So that now you have a right to say, give me this day my daily bread. Think about that with me. You ever, you ever, when you look at the Lord's Prayer, it doesn't start with give us our daily bread. Now, some of us, when we pray, the first thing we ask is for whatever we're missing. Lord, give me this. Lord, do this. Give me that job. Give me that relationship. Lord, do this for me. Jesus didn't start that way. But he gives us the right 
to ask for the daily bread, for the provision, which before was only given through sweat. Now it's given as a gift, but when you're in alignment, notice you have relationship, our Father. And then you have relationship that says, hallowed be your name. Your name is now ultimate to me. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom is more important than my agenda. Your will be done. So before I even ask for bread, I'm already in alignment with, the, with having been redeemed from the curse. This is what I find. is If God is your treasure, he will never fail to give you all the bread you ever need. Because then your bread will not become your treasure. So it's no small thing when you realize the, how Jesus has redeemed even the provision of our life so that through his sweat, we are provided for. Then the second thing. So we said the curse was the thorns. What is it that Jesus was wearing as he endured the cross? He was wearing a crown of thorns. See, thorns came in with sin and were part of the curse that was made the product of sin in Genesis 3.18. Therefore, Christ being made a curse for us and dying to remove the curse from us felt the pain and smart of those thorns, nay, and binds them as a crown to him for his sufferings for us were his glory. You cannot live in this world and not experience thorns. Thorns in relationships, thorns in your work, thorns in any and everything that you do. But for the first time, because God himself became man and because Jesus was killable, and as he was being killed, he bore the thorns. So you can see, if you'll, if you'll see the reverse of the curse, is that any thorn that comes into your life Anything that causes you tears is being redeemed by God. So much so that even the tears, the suffering, the sorrows that you're experiencing now are stored up in heaven. Part of what heaven is, is the redemption place where everything you've lost, everything that's been taken from you is stored up so not a single tear is wasted. Since he became the one with the thorns, now he wants you to live as one who's never alone as you live in this cursed world. Now, not only is there a crown of thorns, but also there is a loss of breath. One of the details of the suffering which we read in scripture is that he breathed his last, Mark 15, 24. So when we were created, God gave us a living soul by his breath coming into our life. But Jesus gave up his breath so that then God might breathe the spiritual breath of life into us. This may not, may not be easy for some of you to believe, but right now the very breath of the Holy Spirit is right at your mouth. When I was a kid, we used to sing this song, and I don't think people took it very seriously, but it was an old hymn, and it was, breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with life anew. And so the whole thing right now is Jesus is saying that I want my breath, my eternal breath, 
to be the breath of your life, not dependent on your physical breath, but receiving my eternal breath so that your life is not bound to this earth, but is bound to heaven. And what Jesus has done in the gospel is that he has said, as long as I live, you will live because I've bound my life to your life. So when you're, when you're in a place of weariness and you're in a place of fatigue, when you're in a place of discouragement, he's saying, let me breathe on you the breath of God and let me breathe life anew in you. I don't know uh, how much you lose your breath, but I lose my breath now easily. And Lisa walks faster than I do. You know, I got to tell you this part. She walks faster than I do when we're walking, but not when we're going to restaurants. <laughs> She's still getting her purse while I put our name on the menu, you know, I mean, on the, the hostess stand or whatever it is. I'm like, how does this happen? I can't keep up with you in Nyack, but I can't get you out of the car other times. I think it's part of the curse. I'm not sure, you know. <laughs> All right, I say silly things because sometimes we've talked about such deep things that I want you to catch your breath. And I want you to realize you, many of you, have been trying to live from your own breath or you've been trying to live from the breath of your family or the breath of your job or the breath of whatever it is. And let me tell you, physical breath will not give you the lung capacity that the spiritual breath will give you. Think about what the scripture says. Wait on the Lord. Those that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's not physical breath. The other thing is this. Could you not see that what Jesus is trying to do is to get you to see your life more like a sail? That instead of living your life rowing under the curse, that you start to realize all I need to do is to put up my sail and let the breath of God blow and lead me. He's reversed the curse so you're no longer a slave tied to a row or to an oar. You are a free man or a free woman who can put up your sail and have the wind of God blow you where he's taking you. Matthew Henry said it this way, Christ was really and truly dead for he gave up the ghost. His human soul departed to the world of spirits and left his body a breathless clod of clay. Do you understand how powerful that statement is? That the very God of very God who became man so that he could redeem you from under the curse. He experienced the curse of breathlessness. His human body became nothing more than clay. A clod of clay. That's how much he longed to break the curse in your life. That's how much he longed to reverse the curse in every area of your life. That's how much he loved you. He was treated as you deserve so that now you are treated as he deserves. And that goes to this aspect. As Jesus began his sufferings in the Garden of Gethsemane, so he finished them by being buried in a garden. 
There's a writer called, uh, older writer called Isaac Ambrose. He said, a garden was the place wherein we fell, and therefore Christ made choice of a garden to begin the work of our redemption. Consider him entering into the garden of Gethsemane. In a garden, Adam sinned, and in this garden, Christ must suffer. Into this garden, no sooner was he entered, but he began to be agonized. So what we have here is we have a very specific aspect of the gospel. And that's this, that Jesus did not only give up his life physically, but he endured in those hours of his death the fullness of the wrath of God. While he was suffering, this this is somewhat hard for us to understand, but while he was suffering, he was experiencing eternal punishment in the hours that he was suffering. He, became, he who knew no sin became sin. Now, let me, let me give you a little way of maybe contextualizing this. Have you ever been with your friends or with family or someone you love and time flies? That's a glimpse of heaven. That's a glimpse of eternity. That's a taste. But have you ever been in a place where you hate it? You don't want to be there. Now time stands still. Like the state DMV office. That's a taste of hell. You see, when you're under... Under agony, it lasts forever. When you're in the the pleasure of heaven, it goes so quickly. And so Jesus was in the agony of rejection of his father. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin. He experienced all the wrath and judgment of God in those moments, in those hours. Now, what that means for us is that he took the curse so that there is no curse left for you to take. And this is so important. If you say to me again, if you say to me, you know, I I hope God forgives me or I hope I'm forgiven, then you've not understood the cross because God exhausted his wrath in Jesus on the cross to where there was no more. What this means is that forgiveness is now a part of the justice of God. So when you have fled to Christ and you have clinged to the cross, then the justice of God now takes the place of the mercy of God. And God says this, I will never ask a second payment for what my son has already paid. And why do I say this? Because I hear Christians all the time who believe that they're being punished. If you're being punished, then God is not just. For God has punished his son so that you are no longer under punishment. And what is happening is the enemy is deceiving you, believing you still have to pay something, or believing you can somehow earn blessing Instead of recognizing blessing is anybody's who's come under Christ because Christ has redeemed that person from the curse. And that redemption is complete. It's not partial. It's not, it's, it's not to be in the by and by. 
You are redeemed from the curse now. And so when I hear people and they say things like this, you know, you know, I'm not praying enough or I'm not going to church enough or I'm not. And all these bad things happen to me because of that. I look and I say, you don't understand the gospel. Either Jesus experienced the fullness of the curse or you and I are all still under the curse. But if we believe that Christ died once for all of us, then we believe that God's wrath is satisfied. And part of what has to happen is we have to begin to understand how to apply these truths into the actual experiences of our life. So what I've explained to you is that legally, objectively, the curse is broken. So would you say that with me? Legally, Legally. objectively, the curse is broken. Now turn to your person who can tolerate you. Look at him and say this. He took your sweat. He took your thorns. He lost his breath. So you will never lose yours. This is legal. This is objectively true. But the problem is it also has to be subjectively personalized and it has to be experienced. Now, one of the ways to look at the Christian life is that you are called on a mission to reverse what the curse has affected. Not just in your own life, but in the lives of your family, your friends, and your community. One theologian has characterized it this way, that when the Allied troops landed in June 1944 on the beaches of Normandy, that the war was already won. Lisa and I were in Normandy a few years ago. We saw a letter from the German high command, and the German high command wrote, if they are able to invade in France, the war is lost. Now, if you think about it, though, they had to fight from the beaches of France all the way to Berlin to destroy the Nazi Reich. And so what you and I are are doing right now is we have already invaded France, but we are fighting the skirmishes until we get to Berlin. So every fight, every battle that you're in right now is a real battle, but it is also a battle in a war that has already been won. But you have to be alert spiritually and begin to take this reversing of the curse, redeeming it from the curse, and begin to apply it spiritually, personally, experientially. This is where your faith has to come in. This is where active obedience must begin to show forth that you and I are redeemed sons and daughters. Now, this curse it affects every molecule of our world. Man who was taken from the ground rebelled against his maker. And so the infinitely holy God who made all things cursed the place from which man sinned. Man's sin affected the whole of the cosmos. So when you look at this elements of the curse, the garden, the sweat, the thorns, the breath, you realize this is pervasive. 
it has worked itself into your family. Every single family of the earth is a cursed family. Even if your family is a little bit better with the curse than the rest of us, every family has the curse of sweat, the curse of thorns, and the curse of breath. And so when we, when we as believers begin to make this trek, that we're not satisfied just being in the beaches, we want to take the capital. And when we realize that, then we realize that it begins more than anything else, not with you diagnosing everybody else. But the most effective way to change the environment is to diagnose yourself. This might not be an easy thing because many of you are very attached to your family, but you must understand your family is the fountain of the curse. Your family is the delivery system of the curse, even if you call yourselves Christian. Because everything in this world has been twisted by the curse. And so one of the ways you can best help your family is not to lean into the twisted roles that we get and to have our identity and our worth defined by anybody else. You actually have to step out of your family lineage. Because you see, whether, you're, whether your name is Smith, Jones, or Rodriguez or whatever it might be, your family name is actually Adam and Eve. And so every one of us physically is joined to the curse. So you must, in order to deal with this move from cursing to blessing, you must step out of your family line. And you must step into actively, not just Say, oh, I'm legally in Jesus. No, you want to be experientially in Jesus. Because now your new family, which is of every race, tongue, tribe, culture, all over the world, your new family is the lineage of blessing. And being in the lineage of blessing of Jesus, separated from the lineage of cursing of your family, you can actually bless your family. But as long as you stay a slave to the old lineage, you stay cursed and they stay cursed. Now, they won't like it that you step out of the cursing. It's just true that people that are not healthy and dysfunctional want everybody unhealthy and dysfunctional. But you have to step out. And you are called to step out because Christ has redeemed you from the curse of the law. What does it take to do that? Well, you have to look at your default settings. And the question I have is, how much failure do you have to experience before you realize, I better examine? Is it going to take abject failure? Horrible failure? What's it going to take until you say, this isn't working? And once you realize it's not working, it can be that you're motivated by the fact of the more. Jesus' lineage is the lineage of abundance. It's the lineage where he takes the sweat, you get the bread. He takes the thorn, you get the sweetness of relationship. He gives you the breath that gives you everlasting life. Your family cannot do any of those things. And so Jesus is asking you today, will you step away from the old roles? Will you step away from the old identity? Will you step into this new identity? It will require radical honesty. 
You see, humility is at its basis, radical honesty. And what we've been saying in this gospel teaching from Galatians, you will not and cannot be radically honest till you also know that you will no longer be punished. And you cannot and will not be radically honest until you realize that you have nothing left to fear because Jesus has become the curse for you. Now, you've got to understand that I'm not the only one saying this, and spiritual people or theological people are not the only ones. There's a Jewish rabbi who became a leadership consultant by the name of Friedman who wrote a book that Lisa and I are reading called Failure of Nerve. And it's an amazing book, and he says this. People function according to the position they occupy with the emotional process of their relationship system, whether family, church, or business. And what he's saying by that idea is, you see, the curse is so entwined with our normal way of acting that we don't even realize it's a curse because it's just normal to us. As a matter of fact, I've been in many abusive situations, abusive marriages, abusive family situations, and they say, well, that's just who we are. So in other words, it takes tremendous courage and radical honesty to say, but that's not who we have to be because Jesus has redeemed us from the curse. And it may take you stepping out of the anxiety of your family. It may take you to step out of the greed of your family. It may take you to step out of the anger, step out of the sexual immorality and say, that's not my lineage anymore. My lineage is in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's actually the best thing you'll ever do for your family. But for many families, it'll feel like you're putting a knife through their heart. Are you tracking with me today? Three of you, that's good. So what I want to do is I want to show you something. And I want to ask you some questions, and then we're going we're to go after this family heritage thing. Because you see, if you don't break the family heritage, that curse stays on you and with you. First and foremost, this is a spiritual battle. One of the things that Friedman says is that when people go to therapy, they often are able to relieve symptoms, and they're very often able to have greater capacity in their life through knowledge to do better. But he said this. He said, in every generation that he observed, the old habits came back in the next generation. And he basically said, therapy helps but doesn't change anything. That's a curse. So what's going on here is even as you get better, say you learn more, you get some coping mechanisms, it will change you but not your children and not your children's children because it's a spiritual stronghold, not simply a psychological issue. And so what we want to do today is to appeal to the spiritual remedy that goes beyond our own personal actualization and actually begins to transform our whole family. But here's what I believe. I believe when you get healthy, it transforms your whole community, your friends, your coworkers. 
because everybody then gets the benefit of your blessing and your presence becomes a blessing in their midst. Think of what the promise was to Abraham, which is what is said here is that we then, who are, even who are Gentiles, become heirs of the blessings of, that were given to Abraham. What was the blessing? Well, Abraham, it was said, would be a blessing to all that blessed him. And so you begin to realize that your life, your position, is one of greater impact and importance than you ever thought. But also, if you're under the curse, then everybody else's life is a greater impact on you than you ever want. And so you have to step out of this place of just being the son or the daughter or the father or the mother. And you have to move into the spot of your new heritage as a child of the most high God. And then you are able to bring the blessings into everybody you're present with. But you got to understand something. Getting from the beach to Berlin is a fight. And so one of the, one of the things that this writer talks about, he says, he calls it terrorism. That all along the way, there's sabotage. But he especially says, and this really resonated with me, is we personally sabotage ourselves. And so you could spend all of your time thinking who's to blame for your sweat or your thorns or your lack of breath. You could do that, but it won't change a single thing. But if you start to say, what is it that I can do that closes off the access of spiritual terrorism in my life so that I'm not falling into the same personal sabotage over and over again, then some wonderful things can start to happen. So I'm going to ask you three questions. The first is, who's really in charge of your life? Because you see, if there's a leader in your life, and that leader is not Jesus, then you will not have the nerve to change. And it will take nerve. You see, you have to, if you're going to break the curse, and that curse is pervasive and it's severe. If you're going to break that curse, then it's got to be his word as your guide and it has to be his will as your choice. Now today, you may be willing to say, I want Jesus as my leader, or you might be willing to say, Lord, I'm willing to be made willing. But I'm saying to you, what is it going to take to depose yourself from the throne and make sure Jesus is the leader? But the other thing is that oftentimes it's not you that's the leader. It's, your, it's family. It's your reputation. It's your job. It's your thought of what will make you successful. So if the leader is not Jesus, then the leader is tied to the curse. Even if you're not straight up satanically led, you are being deceptively led by the satanic agenda. You know what makes deception such a powerful weapon? People don't know they're deceived when they're deceived. And one of the things that Friedman said that really struck me, he says, you cannot change unmotivated people. Will you hear that? So who is your leader? And what is your motive? Because that's everything. 
Because you cannot change unmotivated people. Any of you in here that are trying to get your husband to change, your wife to change, your children to change, and they're unmotivated, all you're doing is nagging. And you're thinking that by persuasion you can change them when the issue is spiritual, not psychological. Do you understand in the Bible it never talks about addiction? But it calls it a stronghold. It's the same behavior. It's the same habitual sin. It's the same, but it doesn't call it addiction as if it's only psychological. It says there's a spiritual and emotional root to every stronghold. And so unless we deal with the spiritual issue, what happens is we just transfer one addiction to another. You get people off of cigarettes, but you don't deal with their anxiety. They're going to find something else for their anxiety. We want to be people who break the curse at the root. But that is only if Jesus is your leader. Second thing, I know this is, I mean, I, I mean, this is intense, but I, I believe we can have some intense freedom today. And I do believe, friends, if you grasp this, you'll understand how life is going for you. I could, all I'd have to do is spend a little time with your story and I'd say, there's the sweat, there's the thorns, there's the breath. So do you know where you're vulnerable to a hostage situation? Now what I mean by that is there's something that can be touched that makes you lose your faith. Is there something that can be touched that, that triggers your anxiety? So usually it's a place of woundedness that you're protecting. And many people say things like this, God will never ask this of me. Guess what? Any place you say God will never ask this of me becomes a hostage situation. Because the enemy immediately knows. All I have to do is touch that and I've got him disqualified. Anything you complain about and grumble about, you understand complaining and grumbling says I can be held hostage in this area. So the enemy says, if they're complaining, let's keep giving it to them. Let's keep giving it to them. Let's keep doing it. Now, you might say to me, okay, I never complain. Yeah, but you hold it deep within. So you're dealing with your anxiety not by being truthful and honest and humble. You're just trying to withdraw and suppress. And guess what? No stronghold comes out unless you name it. Where are you held hostage? How do you react to the unreasonableness of life? This is one of my favorite questions. You see, for some reason, whether you know it or not, we've all unconsciously believed that life should be reasonable. Now, we all say life is unfair, but we don't believe that. Or we don't believe it should be unfair. We believe it should be reasonable. I, I blame HGTV for that. Because they're always like, you deserve a better house. You deserve this yard. You deserve this or that. You don't deserve any of it. <laughs> but you see, we believe life should be reasonable. So when life is unreasonable, how do you react? Do you react in faith? Do you react spiritually? Or do you react in anger, anxiety, fear? You see, if those three things, if the leader is not clear... If there are places where your faith can be taken hostage, if there are places where when this happens, like how many of you have to do something and then have to do it over again? 
how angry do you get at that? How can it be like, why do I always have to keep doing this? Why can't I just do it the first time? You see, those are all, those are all manifestations that you think life should be reasonable. And so that's what it is, is delusional. If life is under a curse, life is not going to be reasonable. But life is always spiritual. And so there has to be a spiritual remedy that begins to arise in you. If God is for me, who can be against me? If no one can lay a charge against me but Jesus, and he took the charge for me, then why is it I always think I'm being punished? Why do I always say three steps forward, two steps back? Do you understand that many times in the face of unreasonableness, you curse yourself and your children? And you don't even know you're doing it, but you're speaking out of cursing instead of blessing. So here's what I'd like. I, are, are you sad you came today? Are you listening to me? Then will you stand with me and let's break this stuff off of us. Now what I have done is I have written um, using some, some, of the, the, some of the deliverance practices I've used over the years and some that I was trained in. I've written them into a prayer form. Now, this, these first two paragraphs are nothing but scripture. We're going to put on the armor of God. We're going we're gonna to do that. I lift my hands up, lay my whole life down together. But then, you see, we're going to also use our scripture to tell Satan the curse is broken in our lives. So the first part is a prayer. So we'll do the first two passages. This is a prayer. You got to keep your eyes open or you can't read it. All right, it is a prayer, but here's what I'd like you to do. You are not bent under the curse. I need you to stand up tall. I need you to stand up straight. And you stand before your Father, and you say this with me, okay? Let's say it together. Heavenly Father, I give you the control. Come on, I give you the control of my mind, emotions, will, and body. I invite you to be the Lord of my life and to reign in me in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I take for today the provision you have made for me, the belt of truth, the blessed trade of righteousness, the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit, and prayer. All right, now, now, okay. Now I want you to really get your swagger on. All right, use your fist, point, whatever you want to do. But you're fighting not just for you. You're fighting for your family and your community. You're saying Jesus has taken the sweat, the thorns, and the breath, and I'm going to use that now to reverse the curse. You see, it's legally yours. Now it needs to be experientially yours. All right, ready? Satan, I have submitted myself to God and I resist you now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I take authority over you and all your evil spirits and I bind all of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ 
with regard to my life and the life of, now speak your family out, go ahead. And the life of, come on, my wife, my son, my daughter. Come on. Come on, bring the blood of Jesus over your family. Bring the reverse of the curse over your family. Say it's legally mine, now it's experientially mine. All right, one more paragraph. Come on, you with me? Still speaking to Satan, still with that spiritual back backbone, ready? You will not have control of our minds, our emotions, our wills, or our bodies. I command that you loose us from every work of yours that is contrary to the will of God and on the authority of the word of God, I command you to flee from us now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I listed these uh, a further declaration. We're not going to do it now. But you see, the more specific you get, the more specific your freedom is. The more generic, the more generic your freedom. So you know, like I had anger in my family. I had to bind the spirits of anger. I had fear in my family. There were things that uh, had to do with financial lack. All of these things you may now speak out loud because you're saying, I have been commanded by Jesus to reverse the curse in my life and in my family's life. God bless you. Lisa. So I get to do the fun part because Jesus legally and objectively broke the curse. It's so that we can personally and experientially have the blessing. So I want you to say this with me. We exchange our sweat for the blessing of productivity and accomplishment. And we exchange our thorns for the blessing of fruitfulness and blessing in our relationships. And we exchange our breathlessness for the blessing of life and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now listen to me. It says that through Abraham, all the nations of this world were blessed. So let's say over ourselves, I am a blessing. And through me, Christ is blessing everyone I know. I pray over this people, they are blessed and not cursed. I pray that this week that they will walk and experience the blessing you have in in them and for them, Jesus. I pray that blessings will overflow in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today.